Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. Do you love gardens? Do you love gardening? I don't I don't, I'm not such an, uh, a gardener myself because I live in a high rise, but I do love gardens. Do you worry about climate change? Well, I love how my guest today begins her latest book right at the, the, the start. She says, a seed is the dormant dream of a new life, a hope, a prayer, the smallest version of an entire life. So if you are a gardener, yes, you know the fundamental value of seeds, without which, of course, life can't continue. I could ask, where does this become personal? But maybe a truer question could be, when is this not personal? In this time of of such an intense focus on the changes in our natural world from climate crises to vanishing species, what is our part? What is the interdependence of, of all of life? And then what if you consider the parallels of the seed to your own life? What seeds are you planting? Welcome, welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio and to this episode today. I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio and CEO and founder of the Baca Institute, home of the quantum connection process. Discover your unique connection with the essence of who you are by taking the quantum connection quiz. We are each designed to directly connect with source, source of life, source differently. And knowing your own style, your, your superpowers, and your, your learning edge, if you will, opens a deeper connection with the universe. It's the secret, really, to creating what you truly want in life. Because who you are is exactly who is needed. Now, my guest today is Jennifer Jewell. She is a gardener, garden writer, and gardening educator and advocate. Since 2016, she has written and hosted the national award-winning weekly public radio program and podcast, Cultivating Place. She is particularly interested in the intersections between gardens, the native plant environments around them, and human culture. Her new book is called What We Sow, S-O-W, on the personal, ecological, and cultural significance of seeds. Welcome, Jennifer. I'm really delighted to have you here. This has been a remarkable experience for me. I mean, I know I am just keep talking, but <laughs> reading your book has introduced me to so many different things that I thought, well, why would I be interested in that? And then I start reading and I feel the interest. I feel my own yeah. connection with what you're speaking to and going, oh my goodness, how, how is this? So I'm eager to have a conversation with you and I'm eager for you, our listeners and our viewers to, to get a little flavor of, of not only this book but of Jennifer and what she is, um, what she's offering to the world. 
So well, well, thank you so much for having me. That was a a very beautiful opening, and um, you know, I think especially that idea of the parallels between us and seeds, mm-hmm. and the hope and potential that is uh, inherent in in both us and seeds and and our ability to see those parallels and and maybe act on them um really a pleasure to be here so thank you Mm, you're welcome and and i love that what you just added which is and maybe to act on those on those parallels because if we if we only are inspired without taking action we're just left in a in a neutral right. state where we can't nothing happens right right i mean and you think about the seed and and that right there is the truth is it has all the potential but it has to be planted it has to be in soil with water with light with air with um warmth uh and those mycorrhizal relationships for it to become its potential yeah yeah just like us. Just like us. <laughs> Just like us. And for those people, I mean, I work with people all the time who are questioning what their purpose in life is and are wondering about their potential. Mm. And my focus, first as a psychotherapist and now as a as a mentor, um, it's been all about what is our potential? What is our potential as, human, as a human being? Right. And what is our potential as this being as part of this whole world right right yeah and I love that like right right there uh what you just were articulating I was envisioning that parallel with seed because of course you know every seed has its genetic coding to become what it's going to become given the right conditions Mm -hmm. but that 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 end result that it is encoded to become is never just one thing. It's all the things along the way to becoming. So, I mean, you think Mm. of, it has to send down the radical root. It has to send up the, the first stem and then the seed leaves and then the true leaves and then the branches and the stems and the fruit and the you know, like it's not just one thing that we're meant to become, but Mm. that end result is a whole built of all of those parts and steps. And that is true for us as well. Yeah. And, and then it's not just that, I mean, as if that weren't enough, right. (laughs) It's the whole, it's the whole, I was going to say the the whole whole environment, but it's the whole, I just also finished reading the book, um, Overstory. Oh yeah. And, and that, and actually I was reading that when I got this invitation to interview you and it was like, Oh yes. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Overstory is genius. It it is. It truly is. It truly is. Um, And so for, again, for our listeners and viewers, it's a, it's a book you might want to take, take a a look at or a listen to if you're um, uh, an audio book person. But it's that sense of all that, if we're talking about a, a great tree, all right. of what that tree um, supports. Yeah, yeah. And all of what, even as the tree dies, all of what that supports in its next generation. And and nothing is, nothing exists without it, it, it being part of a whole. 
There's no possible way. There's no possible way. Even, even when we think we're doing something on our own, you know, I think this is for me, you know, my whole premise in my work and in what I love in life is the fact that gardens and gardeners are these powerful intersectional agents and spaces for possible change. And even when I think I'm out there gardening on my own, I'm never on my, I'm never alone. I am, you know, with all of the pollinators, all of the mycorrhiza, all of the microorganisms, with my climate, with mm. the community of humans that chose and selected and tended forward, all the plants I love today. I mean, I'm looking out my window and I see grasses and roses and camellias and native salvias. And like, these all have a human and environmental history that come together in my garden, which just blows my mind sometimes. <laughs> and you're blowing my mind right now <laughs> you know, because it's true. And, and it's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Um, we're diving in like beyond where, <laughs> you know, where I thought we would start, but um, I was thinking about diversity as I was reading your book and biodiversity, biodiversity and, you know, is what you're focusing on. And then I, I extended to the necessity to have diversity in our personal life, diversity in our culture. And one of the things that's happening in our world right now is this focus on separation mm. and on a lack of, of diversity. Mm. of, you know, wanting to have sameness. Yeah. And, and so I wonder what, I'm curious to hear your take on all of that. And because biodiversity is so essential for the survival of our planet. Yes. Uh, and we know this, and I think it's becoming ever more clear, but it has certainly been clear in ecosystems around the world. There are, there are zero ecosystems based on monoculture. And, uh, and there's a reason for that, that, that collaboration, even that healthy competition of balances and checks for, for creating a dynamic environment that can respond to, adapt to, cope with changes over time and over uh, conditions, like that is what resilience is about. And that does not come from sameness. That comes from different skills, different uh, adaptations learned over time and space to, to come together into a whole. I mean, you think of any ecosystem that you are moved by, depending on where you live. For me in Northern California, where I live, you know, it's the, the complexity of even what feels like a relatively simple ecosystem of the oak savannas, the, you know, we have masses of mature oaks with grassland under planting them. But these grasslands are full of geophytes, of forbs, of spring wildflowers that are annuals and perennials of vines. And then, of course, the trees and the shrubs that are associated with them. So it's, you know, and, and I, I, would, I would like to hope that the book is also mirroring that in the great number of seed keeper stories that I share, that that human diversity of knowledge, 
experience and then approach to how we could possibly go forward better. No one has the one and only answer, but all together, they have this incredible complexity and alchemy of knowledge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that if we listen and we learn from each of them, we, I think, again, will be better prepared to be resilient as humans moving forward, culturally, economically, socially, and certainly environmentally. Oof. Wow. <clears throat> I'm thinking about one of the stories, and I just mentioned it to you. Um, and again, bear with us because we're, <laughs> we, I haven't even kind of created the ground from which to do this, but, <clears throat> but we're just, we're, we're here. Because <clears throat> so, you just talked about seed keeper stories. Yeah. And, uh, and it was the story about the Palestinian woman, and I'm not remembering her name, who was had been collecting the 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 seeds and and reconnected with her own culture in through the seeds through the power of the seeds and in bringing back strains of of plants that had been long long gone right so it's Vivian Sansor and she is the founder of something called the Palestine Heirloom Seed Library which is not a physical place with all of these seeds mm-hmm. kept together as she as she has discussed it and manifested it is that she returns to Palestine her family came over in the 70s or 80s i think and uh they they immigrated here she was raised in the US and then as a young adult returned to try and find the people she remembered, reconnect with her culture. And she realized how many of the heritage foods were becoming less available, less Mm. uh, visible, less grown and propagated and shared. And so she sort of took it on herself to find as many of this great diversity of seeds. And, you know, when you think about this exact region of the world, Palestine, Israel, you know, all of the Middle East and this fertile crescent of of space with its history of human care and cultivation. And granted, there's a lot of human trauma and chaos there, too, uh, which leads the need for, for this returning of diversity. But these are foods that have sustained these different cultures for tens of thousands of years. And so to lose them and to lose their stories as well as their diversity is to lose, as many people of culture say, to lose ancestry, to lose legacy, to lose tools in our toolbox of how we grow forward. And This to her was a cultural uh, disaster uh, that she wanted to do whatever she could to to offset. And so she would find seeds. She would share them with people who could propagate them and share them more uh, and who could, you know, regenerate their use, uh, both as planted, then as cooked and then as stories uh, to 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 
perpetuate what she could of this legacy. And, mm-hmm. you know, she has a wonderful, wonderful quote. Uh, and that is, these are trying times, but in them, we have a choice. We get to choose just how mediocre or just how brave we want to be. And this quote just landed in my heart so powerfully, Lori, of, you know, this is true of us as parents, as siblings, as neighbors, as gardeners, like in all that we do, we get to choose mm-hmm. how brave or how mediocre. And and we know the difference. We know the difference in each of the roles we play in life. Um, and I appreciated her 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 challenge in many mm-hmm. ways to us to say, I can be braver in these times, in these ways. And that and there were we're being asked to step into something new. Yeah. And and the support for that comes on in so many different levels. And I'm thinking of the energetic imprint of seeds. Yeah. Because they carry something, especially those heritage seeds, they carry the vibration of yeah. of something ancient that yeah. perhaps we've lost and we need to reconnect with. Yeah. And this this brings up one of one of my hopes in researching and writing the book, especially mm-hmm. for myself, like given what I do, interviewing gardeners, sharing their stories forward, and then looking at all of their stories in kind of overview and trying to see what patterns I see, what what messages I take away from those patterns. One of them is that importance of the the that that energetic imprint and its mix and mash over time um which is the result is this great biodiversity of life we have mm-hmm. that we often separate into these are our seeds for food these are our seeds for the environment and restoration these are our seeds for pretty flowers and we don't often talk about them all in the same place we we wow. talk about you know, culinary heritage very differently than we talk about restoring ecosystems. Mm-hmm. But they all come from the same place. All of our food was once a wild, ancient progenitor. It was the carrots came from, you know, the genus of plant that produced not only carrots, but Queen Anne's lace. And so, like, to separate them is to misremember that if we don't take care of our native ecosystems to the best of our ability going forward, we are also not taking care of our ability to feed ourselves, let alone all of the other creatures we rely on, often blindly, but we rely on them um, in, in everything that makes our lives livable. You, that's a that is so much. I mean, you've just said so much because it's we really keep seeing again and again and again that we cannot separate anything. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's and right. and that you know you we were talking about plants, but then there's the insects and the animals and the right. birds and the right. on and on and on and on and everything and the fungi and 
yeah, yeah. there's so many dimensions to it all. So many dimensions. And, and of course, like we separated things because we wanted to try and un- like we were deconstructing how things work and trying to make it more manageable mm. in not being able to see the whole because we are so focused on the parts, we lose something, right? We know that we do. And the importance of of remembering that connection, you know, reminds us that if we are going to put um, a plant on the endangered species list, and, mm-hmm. and this was a beautiful articulation by ethnobotanist and, and seed keeper Gary Nabhan out of the Southwest, uh, and he and and one of his colleagues, Steve Buckman, wrote a beautiful book called uh, The Forgotten Pollinators, um, and they and Gary wrote another just seminal book on the importance of seed and in our culture uh, in the, I think again, in the late 1980s called uh, Enduring Seed. And he puts together the fact that if you put a plant on the endangered species list, you are also putting all of the pollinators that rely on that plant on the endangered species list. You are putting the birds who rely on that seed or the other plants that have co-evolved with that plant, they are all at risk when this one plant is at risk. And when we can see that, it becomes, you know, people will often say, well, like, you know, who cares about the Butte Checker Meadow phone? Like whoever even heard of it, right? But that that radiating connection all of a sudden entangles all of us when we Mm -hmm. lose or danger even one of us. And um, I think for us to not be allowed to look away from that and to not have it hidden for us in bureaucracy or semantics uh, is an important exercise for, for us in visibility and understanding. And in being human on the earth and how we're going to sustain life on the yeah. earth. I mean, we, we try to do it through, through big corporations, frankly, through yeah. control. And, and that's what you're saying. And it wasn't, I don't know. I mean, yes, it, of course it started out around money and all of that. But it, it also, as you said, was a way of trying to manage Yes. Yes. It's like, this will be so much more efficient, right? This will be so much more convenient. And we'll Uh, be able to feed more people. Here's people going hungry. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, no doubt from the very genesis of us going down this industrialized life pathway, uh, there were good intentions and there were probably much more, um, selfish or, or greedy or acquisitive intentions, but there were in all likelihood, there were both like, let's solve this problem and have a successful business model. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in making so much of what is essential to our lives, less and less visible and more and more divorced from how we live our lives, we've done ourselves a huge disservice. And and I think this was such a revelation for me as a gardener in recognizing that I am I am the daughter of a wildlife biologist. I am the daughter of a professional gardening mother. And I could not answer the question, where did these seeds come from and how were they grown? And who is in control of them? Like I could not answer that. I just 
blithely go to my independent nursery and I buy the seeds that look good. And I assume that somebody else is looking out for those details. That is an abdication of responsibility and, um, and participation in how we want our, our, certainly our gardened world to go, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but by association, how we want our world to go. Right. So shifting gears a bit, what can we take heart from in the strategies that plants use for thriving? Because that's one of the things that I was so moved by and struck by in your writing was, okay, plants by their nature know how to to survive and they know how to thrive and they, in the way in which their roots move, the way in which their seeds get dispersed. And it may not, we may have a, a, a rocky year in terms of what would be ideal for that plant to thrive. And yet it still knows how to thrive. So what can we take heart from in that? Well, I think first of all, we can just take heart at, even though things feel urgent and they are and in crisis mode, which they are, there is still so much diversity all around us all the time that I think we, we frequently in our, in the fullness of our lives, in the busyness of our lives, in our focus on just getting through, we sometimes fail to see it. And, you know, in, in the book, I, have sort of two different voices, like a personal voice and then a research voice. And the personal voice is almost always grounded in where I live with my partner, John, in what is happening in the seasons. And for me, that was not only kind of a, a literary conceit of a structure, but it was a necessary grounding of like, when I had just spent three weeks trying to untangle the commodification and the, you know, agro-industrial pharmaceutical petrochemical control of seeds, uh, when I was trying to remember what there was hope in, all I had to do was walk back outside and lean into these trees and these grasses and these wildflowers and these seasons to remember that those structures are all still there and functioning, even where we've messed them up, they are still there and functioning at some level. And they know how to write themselves in so many cases. They know how to repair themselves. If we get out of their way, get out of our way, Mm -hmm. and even like just try and participate in healthier ways. That was the great hope, as well as just Again, parallel to the seeds, the incredible diversity of humans on the ground who have dedicated their lives and their work to stewarding the integrity and the diversity and the joy that is seed keeping, whether it's for food or culture or environmental restoration Mm -hmm. or all three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. One of the things that you detail is the um, the different ways that seeds are forced or allowed to emerge from their from their pods. Yeah. And I loved all of that, and and those are natural energetic forces, um, and 
that's how they get to disperse. That's how they get to take wind or take flight or take, you know, root in some other place. Right. And I wonder what kind of parallels you could speak to around that for us, for us, that, that in, you know, in terms of our own, how do we allow our own seeds to emerge from, from us right. as the pods? Right. Well, and again, I think it comes back uh, both to the word diversity and then the word redundancy, right? Because if there's one thing a plant demonstrates for us, a seed bearing plant, it's that don't don't just put one out there, put 50,000 out there. Uh. And, and even if you just do, you know, if one plant bears 15 seeds this season, but it's got 20 more seasons of, of putting out that many, right? And most plants put out many more than that. And that calculus of effort, I think, is something we can take to heart. Many of those seeds aren't going to find ground. They mm -hmm. aren't going to germinate. They're going to get eaten. They're going to get rot. They're going to not find the right conditions to germinate. But some of them are. So the more efforts and diversity of efforts you put out there, I think the more likely your truest seeds will germinate. And, you know, the other lesson, I think, as you were just intimating in this idea of how plants put their seeds out there, they don't generally do it in one way. They do it in a multitude, uh -huh. right? So even if they have a wing, that wing may catch the air, but it also might catch the attention of a, a seed disperser who is going to eat that wing or eat that seed and then pass it through its gut. And that's just what it needed. That you know, trauma of going through the acid of a bird's gut or a mammal's gut, mm -hmm. that's what it needed to become who it was going to become, right? And so, I mean, this all sounds sort of like cliche platitudes, but the the seeds and the plants show it to us over and over again. Like, mm -hmm. try the wind. If the wind doesn't work, try an animal. <laughs> if the animal doesn't work, maybe you know, the water will rise and take you where you need to go. But there's always more than one way yeah. to to get your seeds out there and to, you know, give them the best chance to germinate. And what you just alluded to as well was that even if it's a trauma or what right. looks to be a trauma, even if right. your seed gets eaten and goes through the acid, right. we go through acid. Yeah, we do. And maybe there's a germination story in there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and I, I think when you look back at these last five years of, of COVID, of social justice and environmental chaos and disruption and God willing reset, mm -hmm. um, those have all had those kinds of silver linings mm -hmm. of what we are aware of, what we are what we what we recognize as being essential and and actually valuable and it's not another pair of pants you know it is <laughs> right it's our friends and our family and our community and the health of our environment like these things have all surfaced mm -hmm. as what what sustains us well then how do we how do we nourish those the seeds of change that in our world and in ourselves. 
you know, as a, as a gardening person and uh, as someone who works and lives and thrives within this gardened community, I think one of, you know, and I, I think this answer would be the same, no matter what kind of field we were in, but in our field, in my field, it is the idea of always trying to pay attention and always trying to take a beat as you pay attention, not just notice that there are caterpillars eating your leaf, but before you do anything about that, stand back and say, what, what does that actually mean? What, what is happening here? Not my plant is being destroyed by a caterpillar, but that is somebody's baby trying to make its life and is part of a cycle that's going to feed the cedar wax wings that I love or the robins that I love and isn't maybe really harming the plant. I mean, in some cases they are, in some cases they aren't. So really like allowing ourselves to pay attention and inform ourselves as best we can uh, before we take any action that would interrupt a process or damage a process. Um, I think, you know, the paying attention and, and raising our own awareness levels on anything that we're doing is some of our, our best work uh, at these times. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you see people in the world who are doing good work, struggling or not, like support them, you know, put your dollars and your voice behind the, the, the people and the organizations that are doing the best. And in my case, in this book, it was the best seed work. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, do I really want my money going towards some new endeavor of bare Monsanto? And the answer for me is no. And so I have to pay attention to make sure my dollars aren't going there mm -hmm. because I have not been paying attention to who sold to whom to, you know, consolidate with whomever. Um, and that I'm putting my energy, whether that's a dollar value or a vote or a voice, um, towards the people that I see growing the world better. Mm. Towards growing the world better. Yeah. 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 And we can look at that from, again, from every dimension, from every yeah. um, vantage point and, and every lens that is available. Yeah. It's, it's not just about our, our ecological world. It's not mm -hmm. just about, you know, the seeds and the literal seeds. And yet it is because those yes. literal seeds are, are very much the kind of the, oh, all these words start coming in the root of our life. Yeah, right. exactly. it's, <laughs> the metaphors are plentiful. We, yeah, we, we, uh, we can yes. I'm not even doing it deliberately, but no, no, but they come naturally. And this was an important uh, like point that I make early in the book is that mm -hmm. while that may seem silly or frivolous, it also speaks to just how intimately we actually connect mm -hmm. with the plant and animal world around us. The way we use those words in our language, seed money, seed bank, seed pearls, seeds before swine, you know, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. um, 
those words are full of potent connotation and denotation in our in the way we view ourselves and and that that tells us something about us, how essential they are to our identities mm-hmm. as humans and and human cultural groups and so we can look at at seeds and that's one of the beauties of your book is we can look at seeds from every aspect of what of, of how they are in the world and see the reflection of ourselves. Yes. We see ourselves much more clearly when we see how we are treating seed. And that gives you a lot of pause for how do I want to do this differently? How, how do I want us to do this differently? Um, yeah. So how do, what's your guidance for us? Well, you know, if, uh, if you are a gardener, if you are uh, someone who has any access to a farmer or um, community supported agriculture, a farmer's market, you know, talk to the people who are growing seeds, talk to the people who are selling you seeds and say, you know, who, where, where are you sourcing these and, and where do they come from and how are they cared for? Are they open pollinated? Meaning that the, the plants are grown out in the open and the pollinators in the wind and uh, the water move the pollen around and the seeds form uh, and, and you get the natural seedling variation. And, you know, in some cases like corn, you don't want to do that because then you're not going to get your variety true to seed. Mm-hmm. You need isolation distances, but open pollinated, organic, grown heirloom seed will will be the best for the environment around you and will give you a lot of diversity of genetics in the flowers or the the food that you're growing and, and just again just try and find those people who are doing this kind of work in your area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and learn from them support them and learn from them even if you aren't actually, you know, growing all your food on your high rise balcony, Lori, um, there are people who are growing your food somewhere. Right. So asking how they're doing it and what they're aware of will also raise their awareness. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, one of the most important things is that you are, that you raise your own awareness about certainly chemicals and seed and that you do not inadvertently buy or support any plants uh, that are treated with chemical neonicotinoids uh, in their seed or seedling stages. Um, Because one of the things that is becoming very clear is that this class of insecticides and pesticides that are put on seeds stay in that plant all the way through its pollen production and are accumulating in the the nervous systems and cellular systems of our pollinators of our birds of our reptiles and amphibians and water and soil and in us as humans and uh while the epa and the usda have deemed them you know safe uh in some dosages they they do not test the cocktail of chemicals that are put onto a seed and they do not they do not test 
uh, how it aggregates over time. And more and more research is being done on this and showing that these chemicals are impairing our environments, are impairing us as human bodies and our offspring um, in neurological ways that are not good. Um, and there is just no, there's no need for them. And uh, again, they come back to those words, efficiency and convenience uh, that are, I think, often banes to actual good sense. Yeah. Ooh, I was going to ask you, but I think you've sort of answered it, but there might be, <laughs> there might be more. Um, and that was just simply, what would you like to see happen from this book, from, from your material, from, from all of this information getting out yeah. into the world? I would definitely, you know, uh, I, I, my hope with all of my work, whether it's my podcast or my writing or my speaking, is to really encourage and engage and empower gardeners to stand in their full power as a cohort in this world to really affect change, like getting neonicotinoids banned, mm -hmm. like, you know, ensuring that the FDA, EPA, USDA are holding the highest standards for water and air and soil quality. That, um, you know, what we buy, what we value goes right down the, the ecosystem of our human world in how people are treated in the way they work, whether they are growing those seeds or they are mowing our lawns, um, like the the labor that goes into this world needs as much awareness and education and support as we can give it because they are caring for the land as surrogates to us. Yeah. And um, we are no less complicit in the destruction of those ecosystems, even if it's not us doing it, if we mm -hmm. are paying for it to be done, we are doing it. Yeah. And uh, when we undervalue that layer of our horticultural and agricultural world, uh, we are we are shooting ourselves in the foot mm -hmm. and we are treating the earth and her people badly. And so those are my hopes, yeah, right? Those are my hope, hope mm -hmm. that this awareness is mm -hmm. is really absorbed by gardening people everywhere and that they put their joy, their joy in this work to work in making mm -hmm. the whole gardened world better for everyone. And I think my hope then is that that consciousness that's there for the gardeners extends to each of us so that we hold that recognition of what seeds are about and how seeds work within us, not only for our yes. food and our health, but what are we seeding? What are we seeding with our thoughts? Yeah. What are we putting out into the environment? Yeah. Is it hope? Is it love? Or is it that violence? And we have a choice. We have a choice. Yeah. So would, again, would you make mention of your book and yes. where people can get a hold of it? Look, mm -hmm. I have it right here. Yay! What We Sow, 
on the personal, ecological, and cultural significance of seeds. And uh, it is available wherever you get your books. There is an audio version uh, available wherever you get your audio books that is read by me, the author. And uh, yeah, it's uh, there's certainly, I know, Kindle and e-reader versions as well. And it was published in September, and it's just been a great joy to watch it disperse into the world mm. and to have these kinds of complex and sometimes hard conversations. Um, it's not an easy book. It's not a how to save seed or how to grow your garden from seed. It's, it's really about the state of seed in our world and what we can do to steward it and ourselves uh, more intentionally and with greater love. Yes, yes. It's a brilliant book. It truly is. And I don't say that lightly. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And your podcast, would you make mention of that? I mean, yes. I said it in your bio, but if you would make mention of that. Yes, it's, uh, it's entitled Cultivating Place, Conversations on Natural History and the Human Impulse to Garden. And uh, it is available wherever you get your podcasts, but uh, you can certainly go to my website, cultivatingplace.com, and you can download the the podcast. You can subscribe to it. You can order one of the books uh, that will come signed. But if you order your book from anywhere else and you would like a signed book plate, just send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com, and I will happily put a book plate in the mail to you. So that's very generous. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer Jewell, for such a, excuse me, enlightening, but hopeful. I want to say hopeful conversation. No, oh, thank you. I, I, you know, I, it was a, like I say, it was a hard book to write, but I came out very firmly hopeful, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. very firmly hopeful. So. All right. Thank you to our audience for being with us today at Wisdom Talk Radio. Join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination. Remember, you can find us on your favorite place to listen to podcasts and If you've enjoyed listening today, please do leave us a review because when you do, that alerts people to, oh, there's something here worth listening to. And, you know, in my my sense of it, it really helps people to access more of the wisdom that's available and then to transform our world. So for more about how to thrive with your personal quantum connection, take the quantum connection quiz now. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.